the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We've talked about the fact many times down through recent years how that there are churches around the globe that actually view America as the mission field. And certainly those of us that live here in the greater San Francisco Bay Area, just open your front door, can recognize that based on the diversity of the Bay Area. But what of the notion of people coming from other countries to the United States to bring the gospel to our shores. Don't believe me? Well, my next guest is proof positive. Joining me today in conversation is the lead pastor of Pathway Community Church of Fremont. And Pastor Box, great to have you with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to yeah, the chance to share and the opportunity. So well, thank you. I tremendously get the sense that there is indeed a story here. And based on my, my setup or my lead into our conversation today, uh, maybe I'll fill in the blanks for listeners by saying that um, you have recently come to California and uh, joined the staff at Pathway from Nairobi Chapel in Kenya. Yeah. Well, to give a little bit of my backstory, I grew up in the East Coast. I grew up in Maryland. I did my first degree outside Chicago. I went to Wheaton College, studied Bible and theology. But when I was coming to the end of my time at, at Wheaton, I wanted to do another degree. I wanted to do uh, uh, Master Divinity. And so I, my desire from an early age has been to go into ministry. My desire has been to serve overseas as well. That's been something that God put on my heart from the time I was pretty young. And so I started looking into the opportunity to study abroad. So I looked at Europe, some schools in, in um, the UK and elsewhere. But I ended up hearing about a school in Nairobi, Kenya. I went there as a student right out of college. And so I had one summer and I went straight in. And so it was in 2008 that I started there at the seminary. And I graduated in 2011. And then when I graduated um, with my, my MDiv, I had the opportunity to stay on in Nairobi. And so one of my professors from seminary was the principal of another college. He asked me to come and teach there. It was affiliated with the Anglican Church. So I worked there for three years. It was a missions training college uh, in, inside Nairobi. And uh, so, but then when I was, my time at that college was up, the lead pastor, the senior pastor at Nairobi Chapel, Pastor Oscar, he invited me to come on staff and become a pastor there. And so I did that for several years in Kenya. I planted a church in 2016. And then Pastor Oscar asked my wife and I to move to Ken to I'm sorry, to move from Kenya into the US to come to California as part of a partnership with a group of churches here in the Bay Area. And so that's really what brought my wife and I here to the area. And that's, My wife is from Kenya, by the way. That's an amazing trajectory, and, and I, I guess to kind of 
put this in perspective for listeners. Um, God has been doing some tremendous things up and down the entire continent of Africa. And there are many communities that are witnessing extreme degrees of evangelism results, meaning tens of thousands of people are coming to the saving knowledge of Christ every day all across the continent. But certainly against that backdrop, there are issues related to everything from plagues of locusts, of literally biblical proportions in areas of of South Sudan. Certainly we've seen a lot of unrest. I think of uh, neighboring countries that in specific um, to Kenya and elsewhere have been dealing with the increased influence of Islam. And uh, there's been everything from kidnappings of foreign nationals to even missionaries. And so it, it certainly is not a not the the national geographic sort of experience that that some folks might make it out to be but nevertheless as we indicate god has been doing some tremendous things there and and kenya's a fascinating country i've been there and and it's always an interesting dichotomy how uh, you are here in the middle of the continent of africa and can wake up on any given morning and find a little bit of fog in the morning and cool temperatures, uh, particularly there in the capital. It's really a very beautiful country. Oh, it is. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And, and for me, it just it was, it was a wonderful experience to be there as a student, to be there in ministry. And it, it helped me to see what ministry is like around the world. It helped me to, yeah, to, to see how God is moving what their experience of prayer, how they, how they, their, exp- their expression of faith, and, and a lot of, yeah, just, just tremendous stuff that I never experienced in the U.S. The challenge of poverty. Um, so many people living in Nairobi just deal with an economic situation that I, it's hard for me to imagine, just given my background and my upbringing, and just tremendous struggles that a lot of churches are just very involved in, in helping with. And so there's so many people coming to faith just so much. I mean, yeah, we used to do all night prayer where we go from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. Just so much energy that I didn't always see in the church here in the U.S. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, in in both Kenya and Nigeria, the two countries that I have some knowledge of, uh, while there are extreme degrees of poverty literally all around you, maybe in a sense that kind of helps get materialism out of the way because there is a a genuineness to the faith of the church in Kenya that is really quite remarkable. And you just kind of hinted to it. I mean, when you talk about all night long prayer meetings, you think, well, that that doesn't really happen, does it? I mean, my church gets a prayer meeting together, and but we're done by 730 at night, 8 o'clock at night. Right. there, There is something unique about the fervency of the faith of the average yeah. Christian in Kenya, for which it's difficult to find parallels. And it's interesting because you you must have had some culture shock in both directions. First, traveling from the United States to work on your degree and do missions work in Kenya. And then after having been there for an extended season, returning back to the United States and then looking at the difference between the church in Kenya and the church here. There must have been some degree of, of culture shock for you, kind of yeah. bi-directional. That, that's very true. Yeah, that, that's true. Yeah, there was a lot that, that I learned and that I had to experience and that, that was a surprise in various ways when I moved there. And definitely some surprises coming here to the church where I'm serving now. It's, yeah, a very different environment. Um, 
Yeah, for sure. <laughs> historically, the church in the West, and I'll speak specifically to the United States, historically, the church in the West has had a long, sometimes sordid history of taking Western style Christianity to other nations, not only to teach them about Christ, but to teach them about how we do church. Mm-hmm. which oftentimes creates what I'll call cultural roadblocks because yeah. while the gospel message and God's word is universal for all tribes, tongues, all times, and all nations, the methodology in which we have quote-unquote church on Sunday can really vary from culture to culture. From, from your perspective, what was one of the biggest takeaways from your experience in Kenya that you brought back with you to the United States and saying, you know, we don't do this as well here in the United States as the church in Kenya does. I think faith and prayer would be two of the ones that really come to mind. I think there's a level of faith and trust that God would work in in many of the churches in Kenya. For many of my friends, many of the Christian leaders I worked with, expectation that a lot of churches here don't have. So part of what drew me to Nairobi Chapel in particular, when I first had the opportunity to go on staff, is they had a vision to plant 300 churches around the world by 2020. And and I think they first set up the vision around maybe 2000. So they've been going for a number of years. When I came in the picture, about 2014, 2015 is when I came on. But I was just, I was really inspired by both the, the depth and the breadth. I mean, there's so much that the church both thought was possible and that believed God could do, even when it didn't seem possible. And and I feel like it just really pushed us to to reach people and and to and to step out and to do something that um, yeah that, that maybe we couldn't imagine how it worked, but that we believed God could do. I remember setting goals, and Pastor Oscar would look at them and he'd say, "These goals are something you could do." What, what are you, where are you trying to do something that you can't do that only God could do? And that just wasn't something that I had, you know, learned in the U.S. And, and coming in, our, our church here, just the culture, the expectations are, are very different. And often it just isn't quite the same level of faith, the same level of expectation that God could provide all the funds that we need. God can open the door for ministry. God can reach people. Um, and, and often in, in my church here, there's been, I would say, more of a, it's an older church than a church that's been in decline. It is a very different expectation, and, and often there's more discouragement and, and less anticipation, very different than what I had experienced in, in ministry there. Do you also find that perhaps the, the faith approach is kind of flipped? And by that I mean, I would imagine, you know, through most of the West, when we talk about doing things for the Lord, you know, there's a committee that we get together, we look at the budget, maybe we have a couple of fundraising dinners, we'll do a bake sale on Sunday morning, we'll raise the funds to do what we want to do. There's a yeah. tremendous sense of of self-sufficiency yeah. and self-reliance yeah. and the need to necessarily lean entirely upon God is right. if not an afterthought, the the sort of final recourse. Where right. I would think that would contrast with the church in places like the continent of Africa, where you don't have access to those kinds of resources, and so as a result, God is not sort of the final place that you go seeking help, but the first and oftentimes the only place from which that help comes. Yeah, 
yeah, I, I think there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, when you're when your expectations of ministry is not just that we have all the resources we need, but that we, we believe that God is able to come through. Which it, it is a very different attitude. It is a very different uh, approach. Um, and, and, yeah, it, it plays into your faith. It plays into how you pray, what you expect God to do, and yeah, and just the belief and the trust that God is at work. And it's God's will. It, it will happen. Even if I don't see how it's possible, if I don't see how it will it will come to be the details and the plans and all of that with us on the program today is david box senior pastor of pathway community church of fremont we'll take a brief time out and come back to more of the conversation in just a moment and now back to lifeline with craig roberts Welcome back. We're visiting today with the lead pastor of Pathway Community Church of Fremont, Pastor David Box. Now, Pastor Box, to return to our conversation, having been born and bred in the United States, spent a good period of time in Kenya, then back now in the United States, um, talk to me about the, the issue of materialism, for want of a better term, and and it's potential stumbling block that it may pose to the church um, here in the West. And I, and I pose that question because I remember one time in, in our travels in Kenya on a Sunday, we visited a church and there was going to be a breakaway session for children's church. And while the main church was under a, a, a open-sided covered building, the children's church was going to take place right out there just below the banyan tree. And I can imagine most church building committees would say, oh, this is completely not acceptable. We need to get you know, get the thermometer and keep track of our building fund, and we need to go build ourselves uh, several classrooms. And yet I, I, was, I was fascinated by, and to a great degree even convicted by, the degree of simplicity. And that in many respects, at least from my viewpoint, uh, not having so much materialism, while in a way can be a deficit, particularly if you're talking about people that don't have enough to put a roof over their heads or food on the table. But beyond that, the whole business of stuff that we tend to collect in the first world, that I wonder if it gets in the way oftentimes of our relationship and reliance upon him. It just seems to be an additional stumbling block that in many cases people that have far less, and again, while I'm not minimizing the severity when that impact goes to lack of housing, lack of potable water, lack of medicine, lack of food, those are all critical issues, whether you're first world or third world. But right. I have to just wonder your your observations related to the impact that materialism tends to have on the church here in america yeah yeah i mean one one comment i'll make and I, one of the challenges that i do think is facing many churches in kenya is the temptation of of theologies like the prosperity gospel where there are many churches that do lean into what what is ultimately a, a materialist gospel where the, the the focus is on as even as someone in poverty your focus isn't getting rich. So that is something that I did see, unfortunately, in, in many churches. So I, I think it can be a temptation in different ways wherever you live. But that said, I, I think you make a good point that we have, I think, especially in an affluent area like, you know, here where we live just north of San Jose, you know, in Silicon, outside Silicon Valley, near Silicon Valley. We, I think we have a temptation to comfort um, probably in a, in a in a stronger way than many people around the world. I think we have an expectation of comfort, 
I think that can also play a very negative role in our faith, in our churches. One of the analogies that, that I've heard recently is many people come to expect church to be a cruise ship experience when perhaps a better model of church is something like a battleship experience where it's, it's, it's on mission. It's not designed for comfort. It's designed, in our case, to reach people, not, not to destroy. So it's not a perfect analogy. But, but our, our goal is to reach people. But it's not our own comfort. It's not that we have a service that caters just to our needs, but that it's, it's worshiping God and it's reaching others. I mean, it's reaching people who are far from God. And if your only goal is personal comfort, then that really works against that goal. They, they really are often in, in conflict. Um, if, yeah, and as you say, if your whole focus is the building, how soft are the seats, or what, what level of AC do we have? But I think that also plays, it becomes a big challenge to something like outreach, where if your goal is comfort, then if it's uncomfortable, you're never going to bring up Jesus in a, in a conversation in a way that could be awkward. You're, you're not going to not going to challenge someone if they're living in sin, if they're doing something wrong. And there's just a whole aspect of our faith that just just simply is not done. It just simply is, is left untapped if if you do give in to that material temptation of just my life is about getting a good job and making sure my kids are okay and making sure my house is stocked and making sure I've got my own car. And so much of the American dream is directed so strongly on that. And that, that really takes away from the meaning of, of, of and the reality of our faith. Yeah, if you look at, at the totality of Scripture, particularly when you, when you begin to study who Christ is, why he came, what he yeah. set out to accomplish, yeah. it, it really pivots not on the matter of stuff. Yes, indeed, my father right. owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Right, right. And he created it all. But at the end of the day, the focus is on relationship, not on stuff, because let's face it, the stuff will someday pass away. All of this will go back to dust again at some point. And the only thing that remains is our relationship with him. Right, right. I think when you take a discipline, say a discipline like fasting, Growing up here in the United States at my church, and I, I've been going to church pretty much my whole life, but I don't remember a church ever participating in a fast. And I know, I know some churches do. I'm, I'm speaking from my own experience. But my church in Kenya, that was my first experience of doing a fast. And when we came here to the Bay Area, our, our senior pastor, he called for a 40-day water-only fast. And and that sounds, that's biblical, right? I mean, that just sounds, I would have said, that's impossible. That can't be done. And for me, when I came, I went 20 days I drank only water. I had no food at all, twice. And so I did not do 40 consecutive days, but I did 20 consecutive days and, and to focus on prayer. And there were other people, he himself and others, that did 40 days um, of, of fasting. Now, you have to manage that. I mean, that, that, that. There are a lot of health considerations. So I'm, I'm not saying to do that without going into a lot of, um, you know, a lot of care. And you have to do it carefully. But um, that's something where I think for my church here, it's very countercultural. You know, here in California, where the idea of intentionally denying yourself food, why would you do that? <laughs> and, you know, we, we've we done some We struggle with intentionally denying ourselves anything, let alone right. food. Right. And, and so something like that, that idea of sacrifice, I think, is it's not natural to American culture. And I think cultures like, like Kenya and, and other places in the world are much, even places like Korea, I think there's a lot of places that, that, that 
take that on much better, like waking up early to pray, giving up food, things like that, that are, that are, that they have a lot to teach us. I think we have a lot to learn from them here, here in the United States. With us on the program today is David Box, Senior Pastor of Pathway Community Church of Fremont. We'll take a brief time out and come back to more of the conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today with the lead pastor of Pathway Community Church of Fremont, Pastor David Box. Pastor Box, let's come back to what we were discussing just prior to the break. Were you struck by the emphasis not only on the elements of prayer, but worship as well? And and I ask that question because you mentioned about early morning prayer and many of the churches that we visited in my trips to to Kenya, um, I was struck by the fact that almost on a daily basis, oh yes, we have a daily 6 a.m. prayer meeting and if it's like a prayer meeting you see here in the United States at that time in the morning, you get three or four retired people show up and the pastor, right. and that's about the extent of it. There, you would get three or four hundred people showing up, and they do this every day before work at six o'clock in the morning, and they see it as as integral to not only the success of the church, but quite frankly, integral to their own relationship with the Lord. Speak to that, if you would. Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of people that, that yeah, they, they see prayer, they see worship as a lifestyle. I mean, they just see that as a part of themselves. And, and you, you see, say, so in, in our church, I mean, so our service um, at, at, at our church, the one that I planted in, in, in Nairobi, it was a, a two-hour service, sometimes longer. But we'd have 45 minutes often for, for worship and prayer. So it involves dancing, it involves movement, it involves energy. And, and I think part of that just, it's cultural and it's more natural, you know, for, for them. But it's just, it's giving all of yourself. I think it just represents that all of me goes into worship. It's not just sitting and watching or even standing and singing, but it's movement. It's, it's just really participating in a very vocal, very active way. And, and, and I think there are a lot of people that just when they come to faith, when they give their lives to God, they, that they do give, they, they give God that aspect of, of their time, their energy, their, their focus. And that, that, yeah, there can be a level of devotion that, um, yeah, that it's just re- really essential. Almost, at least in the, in, the, in the worship dynamic, as a sense of, of surrender. Right. I mean, I, right. In, in, in watching just, you know, the, the, the absolute degree of abandon to which... Yes, the worship experience takes place, and and I say right. that to put this in context for listeners. You know, oftentimes when we sing on Sunday mornings, pastor gets up and says, "Okay, opening your hymnal too." We kind of check our breath, make sure we're not going to knock anybody over. <laughs> We start to sing. We clear our throats. If we know we can't sing a tune, we kind of keep our voice down low so nobody hears us as not to call attention to ourselves. It's all about making sure we don't embarrass ourselves in any fashion. And yet, my experience in, in participating in a worship service in Kenya, the notion of you sing a little off key wasn't an issue for anybody. Right. The notion of you really entering into the worship with with complete abandon, focused on him, and not worrying about how you might look or what the neighbor in the pew next to you might be thinking about you is not even a consideration. It it is simply uh, almost a, a surrendering type of worship, 
And I would wonder in doing that if there isn't a place in which in that kind of atmosphere, God really enters in. I mean, there is really an abundant sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Right, right. I, that, that, that has often been my experience of worshiping Kenya. I, I, I think there's many ways to worship. I mean, that's one cultural expression. I don't think it's the only one. But but I Agreed. do think, you know, God, I, I don't think God ultimately desires restraint in worship. I mean, I think, I think in reverence is important. There, there are d- different ways to show reverence. Um, but yes, I, I, I really, for me, I really appreciated seeing that, that energy and that surrender in, 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 a, in the Kenyan worship services in which I participated. Um, that, that, that really spoke to me. And I, and I think it helped me to see another side of worship that I had not experienced the same way pr- prior to that experience for me. And I will say to set the record straight for those listening who know me well, um, yeah, sometimes I'm encouraged not to sing too loudly out of a sense of reverence. <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> but that said, um, when you transitioned back to the United States, um, you brought your, your wife, whom you met over there, and you've got three daughters? Um, yeah, we have three kids. We have two daughters and one son. Okay, yes, two, two, yes. two, two daughters and one son. And, right. and the transition coming from life in Kenya back to the United States, and, and not just anywhere in the United States, but, you know, you, you happen to land on one of the most affluent and expensive regions of the entire planet, let alone the country. How was that transition yeah. for you? Yeah, it's it's been a challenge. I mean, I... You know, I mean, financially, the, I think the church has, has really welcomed us really well. I mean, they, they, they've paid me enough to live here. And when we came in, they got a, a gift registry to really outfit our whole house where they, many of the members gave us furniture, got couches and a bed and a kitchen table. So the church has been extraordinarily generous in helping us move in because, I mean, we brought our suitcases over, but we didn't have any. Our house was empty, you know, and the apartment, you know, that we rented when we came in. So it was a big, a big shift. I, I think the challenge has been coming in is building community in, in a new place. So we came in, in April 2019 is when we moved in. Um, I started the church in May the next month. But that was about roughly nine months or so before all the COVID lockdowns in early 2020. So for us, I think for my wife in particular, coming from another country and, and, and being a foreigner here, it's it's been a challenge for both of us, especially for her, but to get to know our neighbors, to build community. One of the things that, that I've said is I feel like if you had a very strong community, it was easier probably to move it online. We could hang out on Zoom or keep up virtually when, when everything was, was, was locked down. But it was harder to break into people's lives online. I mean, it's harder to get to know someone on Zoom. Um, and so it, it was a challenge for us to to really keep a strong community during during COVID, during the pandemic lockdowns. I mean, our daughter was, she started uh, kindergarten, she was in transitional kindergarten for the first year, and we didn't meet any of her classmates for the first, you know, 10 months or whatever, because it was all online. It was just all on the computer screen. And so it doesn't foster commu- you know, community or connection for her or for us. So it was, it was a very isolating experience. It was a challenge. Um, and that's been some of what we've had to contend with as we've, we've sought to build a community here. And certainly, you know, you you articulate a challenge that many churches have faced. Um, Even the other day, I read an article from uh, a um, research that had been released by Gallup indicating that church attendance has yet to return to the pre-pandemic 
levels. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I think laziness is a big part of it. Maybe yeah, a little bit right. of a separating of the wheat and chaff is part of it. And and people, yeah. I think, have kind of gotten accustomed to, gee, I, I don't have to rush and get up in the morning and get dressed and get shaved and be out of the house by a certain time. We just turn the right. computer or the TV set on. But it's never any substitute for that that iron sharpening iron in-person relationship. Because at the end of the day, this is not about witnessing Christianity take place from afar. This is about being fully participatory. Right. And it's really about relationship at the end of the day. So how, how do you, you know, the telephone is the next best thing maybe to being there, but the best thing is being there and being able to foster relationships one-on-one um, yes. is, is really is really critical, particularly in the context of Christianity. Right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, we, our, our attendance is still not what it was um, before COVID. I think we're about half, maybe a little bit more than half of, of the size we were from from before the lockdown but yeah it's 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 really disrupted so many aspects of our community of our connection of our our time on sunday our our events during the week and i I think you've articulated it well that i I think some of it is you know separating the the wheat from the chaff some who were really never connected never very committed to begin with but just kind of showed up because they always had Mm -hmm. parents brought them or whatever other reason that people came but yeah, I think for us, we, we continue to have an online presence, and I, you know, some there's a few of our members who are physically not able to come, you know, most of the time, and so it is a way to connect with them. We have one member, she's 98, you know, and she watches from home, and I'm glad to provide her an opportunity to, you know, to at least see our service. I, I completely agree with you that it's not the same and it's not meant to be watched, but. We have kept it, I think, primarily for that reason, for some of our older members who aren't able to come. But I do think if it if you're able to come and you stay home to watch, then that's not, that's not fostering community. That's working against it. You know, I mean, that's 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 harming our community. If 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 you're staying at home and, and you could come, we're going to try a couple weeks coming up in July at our church where we're going to have it um, just in person. We're not going to provide a live stream. We're going to try kind of a, a small group discussion sitting around tables and not have a, a formal service for a couple Sundays in July. Um, often people travel a little bit more during the summer and so their our tenants often dips. I think a lot of churches do. Um, but we're gonna try that. Just an offline, you know, experience just focused on the word, focused on prayer, focused on we'll we'll still have some singing and some music, but it's gonna be more informal and it's gonna be yeah, just something that you have to come to participate in. Well, and I think that's closer to, in many ways, to what the church was always meant to be. I think it's easy to provide the spectacle and, and the service. And there's value in that. There's value in having a worship team and there's value in having, you know, a full a full service and the videos and all that we do. But I, I think at times it can work against discipleship. And, and my hope is that this can get us back more to the basics of what does it mean to follow God? What is God teaching us? And how do I live that out today? Well, and if God so desires intimacy with his creation that he sacrificed his only son, that we might be forgiven, reconciled, and walk in fellowship, in relationship, then I think that speaks to the heart of what you just said, that, you know, having a great communal experience and wonderful worship music is fantastic and wonderful, but it should never be seen as any means of a substitute for for the intimacy of the personal relationship. 
With us on the program today is David Box, Senior Pastor of Pathway Community Church of Fremont. We'll take a brief time out and come back to more of the conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today with the lead pastor of Pathway Community Church of Fremont, Pastor David Box. Now, Pastor Box, to return to our conversation, I think the notion of having an occasional service that is far more informal. I heard recently about a pastor that said, you know, we have some folks that claim on Sunday morning they're reading the Bible on their phone because they didn't bring their Bible with them. The pastor was inclined to think they're probably actually looking at the sports updates on a Sunday football game or or, or maybe, you know, checking up on the latest texts. So he got an idea, said, okay, if you're going to bring your cell phone to church on Sunday, here's what we're going to do. Toward the end of the sermon, we're going to take 20 minutes text me your questions related to what we just addressed in the sermon and let's have some dialogue and it's actually working and i think it's a brilliant idea it's a way to get people more engaged and that in that sense of engagement i think goes about fostering something unique within not only our heart but within our relationship both on the horizontal plane with one another and of course ultimately and and most intentionally on the vertical plane and so with that thought in mind let, let's spend a moment and talk a bit about what god is doing at pathway community church you're located in in fremont at 4500 thornton avenue if folks are maybe new to the san francisco bay area and looking for a church home tell us what might they experience at pathway community church yeah, so at Pathway, we're we're really focused on on what it means to to know God and love God today. I mean, we've just finished a sermon series on emerging trends. So I've been looking at artificial intelligence, virtual reality, biotechnology. I think especially in the Silicon Valley area, that these are things we need to be cognizant of. We need to be engaging as a church. So I, I seek to make our our time in the word very practical and very oriented to stuff we can do we we seek to reach out to our community we have uh, some small groups that meet during the week a men's group that meets on monday there's another women's group on also on monday and one on thursday and so that's a time for us to you know get into the word get to know each other hear how we're doing pray for each other we just finished up last night a study and the book of hebrews so we, we wrap that up and we'll take a break in July for, for the summer. But I think we've really been focused on how can we get to know the people around us and how can we be a part of their lives, especially people coming from other countries. We have a large Afghan population here in, the, in Fremont in particular. So we've been working with other organizations. We have a container in a parking lot where we have um, places for people to donate. People can bring in clothes and stuff to help Afghan refugees. And there's an Afghan-American church that that is, is primarily running that and in partnership with some others. But we, we provided them with the space. And we just want to provide all the practical ways that we can to help immigrants coming in, refugees, international students, and, and whoever lives around us, whoever our neighbors are, so that we can be a part of their life, invite them into community, and, and share the gospel with them. I should mention for listeners that um, you're also actively involved with CityServe. That's right. Uh, take a moment and tell us, I know the reason why, but take a moment and <laughs> share with our listeners the reason why you feel that's important. Well, I, we're never, well, we're not going to see the kingdom of God come. We're not going to fulfill God's mission on our own. 
But I believe we're going to see that in partnership. I believe God called us to serve him, to love him in partnership, that God desires you. And so CityServe is a, a network of churches in the Tri-Cities, so Fremont, Newark, and New York City. And Pathway's been very active in that both before I came in and, and after. I, I've had a chance to join their board as well, so I've been helping to plan some of our pastors' lunches. But our focus really is on how can we pray together as, as pastors, as church leaders? Uh, how can we serve together? How can we partner in doing ministry? So something like a blood drive, the plans that we've had to do blood across different churches, things like Afghan outreach, other forms of outreach, where multiple churches come together to work more effectively. And I really believe that God desires that that. That, that we'll, we'll, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with the Assemblies of God Church down the road and, and other, you know, there's non-denominational churches down the road. Or there's a Presbyterian church just about a block away. I could pastor there. So I've been really intentional to get to know other churches that are both similar and different from my own theological tradition. But to, to know them, I pray for them. Sometimes during our service, I'll ask them, what's going on at your church? How can we pray for you? And but just to really intentionally say we're not competing. It's not about competition, but we're we're serving the same God. We're serving the same mission, and we're not the same. There are differences, but I think that's what makes us stronger. Is is, is when our differences um, and, and and our diversity you know come together. And that diversity is certainly, I think, one of the strong points of the San Francisco Bay region, and one Absolutely. of tremendous opportunities. That you know, as I as I often joke on this program. Uh, for the longest time, our conception of being engaged in missions work was, well, you had to go and study a foreign language, get a passport, book an airplane, arrange for support, go fly to a foreign country, live there for a couple of years, and then slowly begin a church plant. Today, you don't need a passport. You don't necessarily need to study a foreign language. You know airplane tickets are required. And if you want to know where the mission field is, just open your front door. It's yeah. there all around you. We drive through it on our way to school, to work, to the grocery store every single day. And the opportunity to literally impact the globe with the gospel of Jesus Christ lays right here in the San Francisco Bay Area. So in that sense, I think it's a wonderful incubator for new churches and church plants and also a wonderful opportunity to see the way in which God can bring the gospel here to take the gospel back out into the uttermost parts of the earth. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, one of the, we did a sermon series last year called The Art of Neighboring. That's based on a book and, and, and there's some other material around that that we use. A part of that is to say, who are your neighbors? You just, we had a, a, a fridge magnet where it shows a house in the middle and then there's eight houses around it. And to say, who, who are the people who live right next to you? And we had a piece of paper. You could write down their names of all those who live next to you. And that's something as a family that we've really sought to do. Um, and yeah, we've invited three doors down our neighbor. She's you know, originally from China, but we invited her. She's come out to our church. We invited our other neighbors that are kind of a, a, across the, the, the swimming pool behind us. We invited them to church, and they had never been in, in, in a church before. And so they came up for our Easter service earlier this year, and I got to share the gospel with them through that. And, and just a number of other neighbors that, that we connect with, many of them from India, right where we live in our neighborhood. Yeah, some from China, and we've connected with some yeah, from Afghanistan that we've invited in. They've come for a women's breakfast and some other events that we've been helping with. But as you say, it's pretty hard to get to Afghanistan. Most of us may not have that opportunity, but at least where I live, I, I can go five minutes down the road. I can meet with someone who's come to a re 
and trying to make a new life for herself here in the U.S. as a single mom. And, and I can get to know her. I can hear her story. I can pray with her. And, and I can find out other ways that we can help you settle. And that's one of the things that we've really sought to do as a church. What, what, are, the, what are the open doors that God is, is, is opening for us? for us to build those relationships, to welcome people in, get to know them. So if you're new to the San Francisco Bay Area looking for a church home, we invite you to check out Pathway Community Church. They meet Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. at 4500 Thornton Avenue in Fremont. That is centrally located from everywhere across the San Francisco Bay Area. Again, 4500 Thornton Avenue in Fremont. Information available on the web at pathwayfremont.org. That's Pathway fremont.org i'd like to thank lead pastor david box for being with us today pastor a delight to spend some time with you thank you so much this is uh, yeah i i didn't realize you had done so much research and and we're so informed about this but thank you so much for your time and effort and for giving me this opportunity i'm I'm really honored to, to be able to do this And again, more information available about Pathway Community Church at pathwayfremont.org. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.